0: Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 170 of our newsletter, which you can find at mariehaynes.com/newsletter, and it's being recorded on Wednesday, February 10th of 2021. And this is going to be a fun episode because it looks like we had some kind of a significant algorithm update in the last week. Google didn't announce anything, but we're seeing some really obvious patterns. When we look at the analytics of the hundreds of clients in our profile, I'm gonna share a few thoughts on what I'm seeing, but it's really too early right now for me to say anything super concrete. It's ironic because we had a team meeting this week, like we do every week, and every team meeting for the last couple of months now, I've been asking my auditors to share with me every client that they've worked on that saw changes with the December core update, either positive or negative. My goal is always to analyze as many sites as I can that were affected by a Google update so we can figure out what is it that Google's rewarding or potentially suppressing with each change that they make. And with our last meeting, I said to my team, all right... I think I've done enough study on the December core update that I have a fairly good understanding of what happened. (laughs) Now, I don't claim to have it all figured out, but we can really clearly see that the December core update involved a mixture of Google uh, basically assessing EAT and even more importantly, doing a better job at figuring out which types of content meet the needs of users. Now my team and I will be working on eventually publishing much more specific advice on how you can better create content that meets the needs of users. And I'll be sharing much of that in my podcast, but it was hilarious that just yesterday I decided that I would stop spending a couple of hours a day. Like I have been looking into the December core update and take a bit of a break for a bit. And then last week happened. It looks like we have a new update to analyze. So I don't have a whole lot to share on the specifics of what Google did last week, but I'm going to fill you in on what types of early patterns we're seeing and where our investigation is likely to head in the next few weeks. I'm also going to talk in this episode about some new manual actions that were discovered this week. These manual actions, they're specific to Google News and also Google Discover. And talking about them this week it brought attention to Google news and Google discovers policies, uh, that they've been there for a while, but there's a couple of things that are in there that are really, really interesting. So in this episode, I'm going to share with you my thoughts on Google's new manual action for transparency and also the manual actions that you can get now surrounding medical content. This is really, really interesting stuff. Last week, the big story that we talked about was bot traffic in Google analytics on January 31st. If you saw a big spike in organic traffic, there's a good chance that this was just a bot attack. It's not something that will affect your site's ability to rank. It's not like a malware attack or you've been hacked or anything like that, but it will mess up your analytics. It really made things challenging for us when we were trying to analyze a potential update that started on January 27th. So I talked about that in last week's episode. In our newsletter last week, we shared some solutions for the bot traffic and ways that you can filter it out, but it's not a super simple process. So the reason why I'm mentioning this again this week is that we're seeing these bot attacks uh, appearing on many, many other sites on random days between January 31st and sometime in the first week of February. So if you have a, in most cases, it seems to be a single one-day spike in traffic. So if you have a single one-day spike in traffic, what's happening here is that this particular company that's doing this And I'm not going to give them any publicity by mentioning their name. They hope that you'll visit their website and then you can see on their website because, well, you can see it that it shows up on their, your analytics. So you'll know which website to visit. And if you go to their website, you'll see an offer where you can buy artificial traffic to inflate your Google analytics numbers. I know none of my listeners would ever buy this service. At least I hope so. It it wouldn't surprise me if this particular company gets into some type of trouble. Their spam added several hours to my workflow this week, and I know it cost a lot of businesses money and wasted time, so... Anyhow, I wanted to mention it again because a lot of you are going to hear news of a potential update in late January and early February, which I'm going to talk about in a second. And you're going to look at your analytics and you're going to see this big spike and not know whether it was Google that affected you or the bot traffic. A few years ago when we had this same type of problem on a widespread basis, it only appeared in referral traffic in Google Analytics, but this time you see it in your Google organic traffic as well. Um, And again, there's stuff in last week's episode that talks about how you can filter this out. It's a a real problem for reporting, um, but really shouldn't impact the actual ability for your business to rank or your website to, to do well on the web. So let's talk about this potential update. That happened last week. Barry Schwartz published an article this week saying that there was probably a Google update on February 8th, and most of the algo weather tools are showing a lot of volatility in the search results on February 8th as well. However, in our data, there's a very large number of sites that were affected by something that looks like an algorithm update, and it starts in most cases on February 6th. Uh, We have several clients that are seeing really nice improvements starting February 6th. We have a few financial websites that are seeing really big improvements But this is going to take some more investigation. And I only really just started deeply looking into this this morning. So stay tuned. There's going to be a lot more stuff to come. Uh, But it's going to require more investigation because, uh, you know, if we're seeing improvements in our financial sites, there's a lot of things going on with the stock market right now and with cryptocurrency. And some of these improvements that we're seeing really could just be due to current events. So we need to dig in and figure out, is this actually, are we actually seeing improvements in rankings or is this just a a, a seasonality or a common uh, current day events issue? But there's a very clear bump up for several of our financial clients that starts very clearly on February 6th. We're also seeing improvements in a couple of our e-commerce clients, and I saw a few uh, tweets come across my timeline from people seeing SaaS websites strongly affected as well. I can't say that's something that I've seen in my data, uh, but whatever's happening, it seems to be very, very widespread. So whenever we analyze an update, one of the things that we look for is patterns. Most updates that Google makes are not specific to any one industry, but... If a specific industry is affected more strongly than others, it sometimes can give us some hints as to what Google was changing at the time. When we saw the August 1st update in 2018, it affected a lot of medical sites. You know, as a community, we called it the medic update, but really it affected all verticals across the web. But because it affected a lot of medical sites, it was easy for us to determine that what Google was working on was improving certain elements of trust. We saw that medical sites with widespread reputation issues and other problems that were closely related to trust were the ones that saw traffic drops uh, from Google at that time. So with this update so far, it's it's really hard to see specific patterns, but we'll likely see them after some more analysis. The one thing that I can say though is that many of the sites that either saw improvements or losses starting February 6th, they also saw the same thing but on a smaller scale on January 27th. Not all sites, but many of them did. You know, I, I tweeted that I'd be looking into a potential algorithm update starting this morning, and John Mueller liked it. Now, I've been accused in the past of putting a little bit too much weight on, perhaps, on what John thinks. Uh, and I'm certainly not going to write any articles based on John liking one of my tweets. But I have a gut feeling that whatever Google changed with this February 6th update Uh, And maybe starting a little bit earlier than that, January 27th for some sites is worth paying attention to. Ironically, it was almost exactly four years ago that we had an unannounced update on February 7th. That was February 7th, 2017. I really think that that update was the one in which many elements of EAT were really strongly incorporated into Google's algorithms. So this is really interesting. If you want to give, uh, I, I know many of you want more information than I can give you right now. If you were affected, uh, February 6th or January 27th, you're, you're definitely looking for more information on what it is that Google did at the time. So I'm going to be looking into this more, and I really should have more for you in next week's episode. Um, those of you who are premium subscribers of the newsletter, as I learn things, as my team learns things, and as we come up with new theories and new understandings of what it is that Google's rewarding or maybe potentially demoting, uh, with this update, then we'll share that information with you. Uh, Now is probably a good time to throw in the SEO tip of the week. And this is sponsored by Ahrefs. I saw uh, this week that Ahrefs had published a beginner's guide to SEO. And it's really, really good. I haven't read every single word of it, but I did spend a fair amount of time on it. And uh, I was quite impressed. If you're new to SEO... A lot has changed over the last few years. And some of the guides that are out there, I really feel they're still just barely scratching the surface when it comes to understanding how Google works today. So Ahrefs guide, it explains how to determine things like what type of content to produce, uh, how to do keyword research. And it gives a really thorough explanation of how to use their tool, uh, basically Ahrefs site explorer to its full potential. Um, Those of you who aren't uh, beginners, uh, each topic that is in this post has links to more advanced articles on many, many different aspects of optimizing your website. I'm not going to say too much more about this article right now, but if you're trying to learn about SEO, I would really encourage you to read it. If you Google Ahrefs beginner's guide to SEO, you'll find it. I believe this might be the last sponsored mention of Ahrefs that we have scheduled for this podcast. And it has been a really interesting journey when we were first approached about having a sponsor in our podcast. I said no for, yeah, you know, I didn't want to talk, I didn't want to be shilling other people's products. but you know, doing so, though, really has taught me a lot about our sponsors and how to use their tools properly. So I'm really happy that we did that because I learned from it. I think, though, that there's a good chance that we probably won't be doing any more sponsored content, at least in podcast. We may still have some in newsletter. Uh, You know, we're getting more and more listeners each week to podcast. And so for those of you who are new to listening to podcast, I want to welcome you and I want to thank you for listening. I'm always open to your feedback if you want to tweet at me, Marie underscore Haynes. Um, We started this podcast really as just a way to have me read through my team's newsletter. And over the last few months, I've, I've kind of strayed from that and done a lot more explaining of my theories and just talking about what interests me about Google's algorithms. And it seems like you guys really like this kind of thing. So If you're listening to this and you're kind of wishing that you could sponsor us, um, we're still taking sponsors for our newsletter, provided we believe in your product or your service, Uh, but most likely the podcast will be ad-free for a bit. We'll see though. It's been really interesting to see this whole thing evolve. And speaking of things that I love to ramble on about, let's talk about manual actions. We mentioned in the newsletter this week that there are some new manual actions from Google and that's exciting. Well, Maybe not exciting for those of you who have ever received a manual action though. Uh, We have a whole department dedicated to helping site owners that have received manual actions. So hearing that Google has new manual actions to dish out is just a little bit exciting for us. Um, Before we get into describing these new manual actions though, I think it's probably a good idea to take a step back and talk about why Google gives manual actions. I first started helping websites remove manual actions in 2012. And back then, most of the manual actions that we'd see were for sites with super, super spammy links. My youngest was born in 2012. And when she was an infant, sometimes what I'd do is spend entire days doing link audits where all I do is look after spammy link after spammy link. And back then the link profile of sites that got a manual action they tended to be absolutely riddled with low quality links, like uh, low quality directories, links from article publishing sites that only existed to publish articles, like like eZine articles that the whole purpose was to publish an article and link back to your own website uh, that you're trying to rank on Google. So when the Penguin algorithm came out in April of 2012, we still saw this same type of spammy link come up in manual actions for quite some time. Even in 2013, when Google started giving us example links for failed manual actions, uh, a lot of the time these links would be the type of thing that eventually, like the penguin was supposed to catch. I used to say back then that I would much rather have a manual action than to be affected by penguin. Because with a manual action, you could selectively choose which types of links to clear up until you got the manual action lifted there were certain types of unnatural links that we'd always try to get removed or later on disavow. But if we weren't sure we didn't want to do harm by disavowing links that potentially were still being valued by Google's algorithms. So let me give you an example of this. Um, One example would be a case that I had where they had done uh, a bunch of scholarship link building. So that's the kind of idea where you create a scholarship and then you reach out to universities and schools and publications that recommend scholarships, and you can get a bunch of links that way by getting your scholarship mentioned. So they did this, but the site had also done a lot of other super incredibly spammy link building over the years. Um, and probably the spammy link building is what got them the manual action. But Google doesn't tell you that. You know, they don't tell you when you get a manual action specifically which links you need to deal with. Those of you who were link building back in 2012, you'll remember this was a really hard time for link builders because we had just seen sites that overdid link building in spammy ways got devastated by Penguin. And Google didn't give us very clear documentation on what exactly they meant by unnatural links. They didn't even tell us at first that this update, that the Penguin update was about links. But one of the things that was really, really clear with sites that got unnatural links manual actions, they were usually ones that had done link building on a very large scale. Now, I've seen a few manual actions for sites that went out and bought just a small handful of super powerful links, Uh, but the vast majority of the time, and this is still the case today as well, when a site gets a manual action for unnatural links, it's because they've been doing something at a scale that breaks Google's guidelines. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail here again, because I know some of you are thinking, well, what if all of a sudden one of my articles goes viral and people are linking to it on a crazy scale. Could that, could that huge spike in link velocity cause me to get a manual action? And no, Google knows that that's how the web works. People discover stuff and then they recommend it to their readers. And sometimes your stuff does, it does get an onslaught of links. All of a sudden you actually want that kind of thing to happen. Um, I'll tell you, I've yet to see a case where a site had a manual action for unnatural links, where I feel like Google got it wrong. Perhaps there's a case out there somewhere of an innocent site that got a manual action, uh, you know, maybe because of negative SEO, but I haven't seen one and I've seen a lot of manual actions. I've had some cases where we've struggled to remove a manual action and some of the example links given to us were wrong though. We're dealing with one of those right now where Google's giving us example links that truly are valid earned links, not self-made, not made for SEO. And that's a whole other story to talk about. When, when this type of thing usually happens, it, it's because you've been really clever with your link building methods To the point where the web spam team is having a hard time deciding which links you made for SEO and which links really could be counted or really should be counted in Google's algorithms. So don't worry so much about link velocity provided you're truly earning links and not making them on your own. So let's go back to this case where we were trying to remove a manual action for unnatural links, and the site had a very large number of scholarship links. And we're trying to decide, uh, is this the type of link that we need to remove or disavow? Now, sometimes it's super obvious to see that a scholarship was set up just for SEO. If your scholarship was called the best emergency plumber in Pittsburgh scholarship, you know, and a huge number of the links pointing to your site are anchored with best plumber in Pittsburgh, that that can get you a manual action. But in this case, for our client, the scholarship was legit. And the sites that were linking to it, they were legitimate universities that were recommending the scholarship. But they were there on a very large scale. It's not against Google's guidelines to create something and then invite people to link to it. In fact, Google's guide to doing SEO has a whole section on it called promote your website. You know, I think a lot of people aren't even aware that this guide exists. We'll, we'll link to it in the show description, wherever you're listening to this episode, you should be able to uh, see a link to that. If you haven't read that guide, I would encourage you to do it. So it actually recommends that site owners open up communication with other site owners in your niche um, and ask for, for links basically. Uh, it's totally okay to ask people, although, the The guide does say, do not spam people with requests uh, to link out to your content. It talks very clearly about creating relationships um, and getting links in that way. And John Mueller has said in Help Hangouts that it's totally okay to ask other people to link to you. In this case, though, there's definitely, like with the scholarship links, there was definitely a strong SEO intention behind the scholarship. The links, they weren't keyword anchored, but many of them did contain keywords. Um, and they didn't really pass our litmus test uh, that we, we use sometimes where if we're trying to decide uh, whether a particular type of link is something that Google would really uh, take issue with, um, something that you can do is ask yourself, would you be happy to show the web spam team? Back then we would say, would you be happy to show Matt cuts the links that you've just created <laughs> that you've just got for your site. Uh, and these scholarship links were kind of, they were done on such a large scale that we were like, you know what, we wouldn't want to show this specifically to the web spam team. So the client and I, in that case, we we decided to hold on to those links, the scholarship ones, and not disavow them. And when we filed, uh, uh, so we filed for reconsideration, and we, we cleaned up the spammy stuff, the directory links, the super spammy uh, stuff that they built over the years. And we filed for reconsideration and we passed. And this was without disavowing, in this case, the scholarship links. But if you recall, before I went on that very long rabbit trail, the point I was trying to prove is that I used to say that I would rather have a manual action than be suppressed by Penguin. So imagine this same site did not have a manual action but instead, uh, instead had a sudden drop in traffic that happened on the same day as a Penguin update. We would have disavowed all the spammy links, and then we wouldn't know what to do with the scholarship links. Now, in hindsight, we probably would not have disavowed them. We would have been fine. But let's say that we decided that they were okay and that they weren't contributing to the Penguin issue, and let's say we were wrong. You know, we've got a lot of experience in this area, but we don't know everything. And we're taking our best guess as to, it's an educated guess, but our guess as to what is it that Google's algorithms are taking issue with here? Well, Penguin, in the past, it could suppress websites to different degrees. And if the site made a recovery of some sort with the next Penguin update, we'd never know whether maybe they would have made an even bigger recovery had we disavowed the scholarship links. So having that manual action, when we saw that we could pass and we, and we got our successful reconsideration request and we hadn't touched the scholarship links, it was a fairly, uh, I mean, maybe we're wrong on this, but I think it was a pretty good assumption to say that, all right, those links were not ones that were being, uh, picked up by Google as unnatural. Um, but with Penguin, you know, you don't get any indication like that. You don't get example links. You don't get to file for reconsideration. Uh, so Today, I, you know, I don't feel the same way about manual actions today. The manual actions that we're working on right now are absolutely brutal. (laughs) You see, I really do think that Google can handle an awful lot of spam on the web with their algorithms now. So when a site gets a manual action for unnatural links, it means that Google has manually reviewed the site. And they say that, I think, uh, for some, if you get a manual action for hacked content or malware, those, some of those are reviewed, uh, automatically programmatically. But Google's told us that when you get a manual review, it means you, your site legitimately has been manually reviewed. Somebody from the web spam team has looked at your site and determined that you're building links that violate Google's guidelines. The link schemes guidelines, which we'll link to that in the show notes as well, they start off by saying, I'm going to quote here, any links intended to manipulate page rank or a site's ranking in Google search results may be considered part of a link scheme and a violation of Google's webmaster guidelines. So yes, the sites that we're dealing with now for manual actions for unnatural links, they've done this type of link building that's against Google's guidelines. And most of it is links in articles, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Sometimes it's guest posting, content marketing, publisher agreements. Not all of those are necessarily going to be breaking Google's, Google's guidelines, but when you do it on a large scale and when your primary purpose is to manipulate your page rank, or basically to rank better on Google, then you're breaking Google's guidelines. So the sites today that we're dealing with that have unnatural uh, links, manual actions, they have this kind of link. links in articles that are made with the pretty much the sole intention is for improving page rank. But the thing that's tricky is that these sites also have a great number of truly earned natural links and trying to go back through and determine, was this a link that we made? Was this a linked, was this a scraped version of a link that we made because those are unnatural as well. Uh, If the original link was one that you made just for SEO, and it really serves no purpose uh, outside of just trying to prop up your rankings, and then there are scraped versions of those links on the web, we often see those given as examples in unnatural links penalties. So uh, if, if Google's showing you this, then this can be a real problem. So trying to decide, you know, is this a link that we made? Is this a link that we earned? Should we disavow this? If you've got a mixture of super sophisticated uh, link building uh, mixed with actual truly earned natural links, it is really hard to remove manual actions today. Uh, So that was quite the rabbit trail. I I love talking about manual actions. And I, I realize that's not a very normal thing for a person to say. I mean, who loves manual actions? But really what what I've learned over the years is that if we study Google's manual actions, we can often learn where their algorithms are heading. Google gave out manual actions for spammy directory links for years until they learned how to just ignore spammy directory links. And now they don't have to give out manual actions for them because they just ignore them with their algorithms. For some of the stuff that's in these new manual actions for Google News and Google Discover, it's not too hard to imagine how Google could build that into their algorithms. I find it really interesting that you can get a manual action now, again, this is just Google News and Google Discover, for vulgar language and profanity. I I suspect that Google's already got an algorithm to look for the most common swear words and, and make sure that those don't get included in Google News, but I would imagine that there's all kinds of exceptions and situations where sometimes, you know, maybe a word could be considered an offensive word in some cases, and in other cases, it could be perfectly fine, or it could be even somebody's name depending on what context it's used it can be really really interesting if we see if we end up seeing any of these manual actions because then we can see what types of vulgar language and profanity google's algorithms had a hard time detecting to the point where they needed to actually manually review these websites and actually never mind (laughs) maybe i don't want to see manual actions for vulgar vulgarity i think there's other ones i'd like to to look at first um But what about this manual action you can get now in Google News regarding transparency? I'm going to read it here. I'm going to quote, Google has detected content on your site that appears to violate our transparency policy. Visitors to your site want to trust and understand who publishes the content that they're consuming and information about those who have written articles. That's why news sources on Google should provide clear dates and bylines as well as information about authors, the publication, the publisher, company, or network behind it and contact information. Now this is something we've been recommending for years because it's in Google's quality raters guidelines. The raters are given detailed instructions on how to determine who's responsible for a site's content. And this is why back when we first started talking about EAT, a lot of people got really hung up on author bios. We saw a lot of people creating fake authors or pretending that the most famous surgeon in their field had written all of their articles. And that's not EAT. It's the opposite really, as it's not authentic. When you're working on improving your EAT, what you're trying to do is demonstrate not just to Google but to your readers as well, that you really do have the expertise to talk, talk on this topic and to give as many signals as you can to show readers that they can trust you. I think some of this misunderstanding about EAT is because so many of us are guilty of picturing Google's algorithms, like a bunch of if, if then statements, I can guarantee you there's no line in Google's algorithms that say, if a page has an author bio in it, it has good EAT. The presence of an author bio, it's not going to improve your rankings, just having one there. But if your author bio legitimately helps readers understand and feel like they can trust your content because they can see that it's written by somebody who has the expertise that they're looking for, then this is what we all should be striving for. We could argue about how this could be gamed, or you could say, well, my competitor's ranking above me and they don't have author bios, or we could discuss theories on, you know, how Google maybe uses entity information to gather more about your author's expertise, or do they do that? You know, we've had some very interesting conversations surrounding how Google could be measuring these things. And those conversations, they're fun, But what we really need to know as SEOs is that the quality raters guidelines and Google's documentation on these manual actions tell us not how Google's measuring these things, but that they want to measure them. I actually think that if you get a Google News manual action in the future for transparency, this actually could be a good thing. It means that Google wants to include you in their news algorithm. And they're telling you that you need to be more transparent about who your authors are. The part though, of these new manual actions that excited me the most, uh, was the news and discover manual action for violations of their medical content policy. I'm going to read this here for you. Google has detected content on your site that appears to violate our medical content policy because it contains content primarily aimed at providing medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment for commercial purposes. We also do not allow content from any site that contradicts or runs contrary to scientific or medical consensus and evidence-based best practices. So what can we learn from this Google news and discover they don't want to rank content that's medical, that's primarily commercial intent. Now it's funny, there's a manual action for this because I just went to Google News and I did a search for best glucometer and the top result is an affiliate site. This is in Google News. Uh, And the affiliate site links out to products. It's it's definitely got commercial intent uh, but also has information on the page. So who knows, perhaps with that particular query, Google's algorithms can figure out that when I search for best glucometer, maybe I am actually looking to buy things But it's interesting that now you can get a manual action for commercial intent that keeps you out of Google News. I I did another search on Google News for coronavirus masks, and none of the top results were commercial at all. None of them were selling masks. They were all news articles discussing masks and science and, uh, you know political issues and things like that surrounding masks. So I did another search for vitamin D. That's been a very topical, uh, thing lately that has had a lot of news on it, but also has a lot of people trying to sell vitamin D because, uh, there's a lot of evidence that vitamin D can be helpful for people. Um, and so I did a search for vitamin D on Google news and all of the results were informational. But then I did another search. I was trying to find a product that, uh, was heavily, I don't want to say spammed. Um, maybe, uh, there was a lot of competition for a particular product to see if I could find a SERP that was littered with, uh, commercial intents on Google news. And what I searched for was CBD and I see Healthline ranking highly on Google news with content that does contain affiliate links, uh, as well. That that lead to places where you can buy uh, medical products. So basically, CBD. Uh, I just I just want to clarify here because uh, a couple of you have reached out to me. Healthline is not a client of ours. I. I talk about them a lot, um, and I know a, a few people think because I talk about them a lot that they're our client. The reason why I talk them about them a lot is that it fascinates me that they seem to have come from out of nowhere uh, a few years ago and, and to rank really well, and Google really likes them. So they come up a lot in our competitor comparison section of reports that we do. Uh, when we do a site quality review, often what we'll do is uh, look at who actually won at a time when your site seemed to do poorly with a Google update, uh, and then see if we can figure out, well, what is it, uh, on those sites that, uh, that you're lacking? What is it that uh, Google maybe is seeing as a sign of trust or as a sign of something that a searcher's needs have been met uh, that we can improve on in our our client sites? Uh, So I'm I'm looking back now at the wording in this new manual action, and it's not actually saying that there can be absolutely no commercial content in your posts in order to rank on Google News or Discover. Uh, It says if the content is primarily aimed at providing medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment for commercial purposes. I think primarily is uh, an important word there. These articles I saw ranking on Google news with affiliate content, they also had good informational content alongside that commercial stuff. Um, so I don't think their primary purpose, uh, was to sell a product. I find it fascinating that Google needs a manual action for this though. I I actually think that again, this is a good type of manual action that you could get. I I never thought I'd say that I'd want to get a manual action, (laughs) but let's say that you have a site that sells a medical product and let's say you get this manual action. So again, it's Google saying, uh, you know, you can't rank in Google news, or I, we don't want to show you in discover until you clean up this problem. I really feel like this is Google telling you like, Hey, we want to include your content in Google news or in Google discover, probably more likely, but, but we can't because it's too commercial. And then, you know, that if you can make uh, more informational pages, that maybe you have a chance to rank in News or Discover. Now, those pages obviously won't convert as much, so it's you know it's not 100% beneficial, uh, but, uh, but still, it's a little bit of evidence that Google wants to be including you and that with just a few changes, maybe you'd be able to rank and get more traffic from these sources. The final thing I wanna say on these manual actions is to talk about the part that I find the very interesting part, uh, and that's in regards still to medical content. You can now get a manual action again in Google news or discover if you have content that quote contradicts or runs contrary to scientific or medical consensus and evidence-based best practices. Now this policy is not actually new. Google's news and discover content policies. They've had this line in there for a while. It says we do not allow content from any site that contradicts or runs contrary to scientific or medical consensus and evidence-based best practices. What's new though, is that soon, apparently you can now get a manual action for having content that's uh, contrary to scientific consensus. I really want to see some of these manual actions. So if you get one, I would love if you could just reach out and show me. I, I I wrote an article a couple of years ago now on some theories I had on how Google could determine whether your content content actually is contrary to scientific consensus. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that this is a favorite topic of mine. I think I might need to rewrite that article now though, or at least add some information to it as I I'm learning more and more about Google's use of entities. It was one or two episodes ago where I discussed a little bit about Bill Slosky's article that talked about the importance of associations between entities. Now, this is a whole bunch of theory here, but I I realized that pseudoscience, so pseudoscience is, we've talked about that before, right? Is like, it's kind of science, but not widely accepted by the scientific community. Pseudoscience is probably an entity on its own. And all Google would need to do in order to determine whether something was contrary to scientific consensus would be to analyze the associations between your entities. And pseudoscience is an entity. So I want to do more research on that before I elaborate more. But I think so much of what Google's doing these days is connected to understanding the association between entities. This is probably a good place to finish up this episode before I go on too long of a rabbit trail again. Uh, We have much, much more in newsletter. MarieHaines.com slash newsletter. We'll take you to episode number 170, which corresponds again with this episode. There's so much more that I did not mention in this podcast. Uh, This week, we've got a great link building tip there's new information on core web vitals, um, and what's important when optimizing them. We keep getting just little hints of stuff from, uh, Google help hangouts and other publications as well. So as we learn more about what Google's going to value in core web vitals, we'll share that with you in newsletter. Uh, we've got a little bit about using content hubs, um, which, you know, we've seen some clients, uh, make, dramatic improvements by restructuring their content into a hub and spoke model. Uh, That's something that we've uh, just touched on in newsletter as well. And we've got a bunch of local SEO news, which sadly, I'm I'm not going to be reporting a whole lot of local SEO in podcast anymore uh, because I don't personally do uh, a lot of local SEO. Um, But this week, the newsletter talks about uh, new clarity on guidelines for co-working spaces, Uh, in terms of Google My Business and a bunch of other local SEO news that you'll find useful as well. I'd like to ask a big favor of you if you've made it this far in the podcast, whatever platform you're watching this on or listening to this on, whether it's Spotify, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, or YouTube, I'd love for you to leave a, a thumbs up or a like or whatever it is that uh, is on that platform that you're listening to if you've enjoyed the podcast. If anything that I've said has been helpful to you, this is a way that you can help us out uh, and we'll do better. Our podcast will be do, doing better if you can give us a thumbs up or a like. Um, you might have noticed that I haven't done a QA and a section for the last few weeks, but don't worry, you'll still be able to ask me your SEO questions uh, soon in the future. We're actually planning, uh, what we're planning to do is have me answer these in video form. Uh, I just ordered some new equipment to make this. Uh, I'm currently recording from a room above my garage as we're in lockdown and our office is, uh, pro- I don't know, it may not be safe to go into, uh, but we're gonna. I'm going to stay home for a a bit. Um, So I'm trying to make this room above my garage look a bit like a studio. (laughs) And if you're already uh, not following us on YouTube, then I would encourage you to do that. You can find us under MHC Inc. uh, because then you'll get a notification every time we put out a new answer to your questions about EAT, about the quality raters guidelines, uh, link quality, and all those other fun things that I love to talk about. Uh, so, I'm going to be answering some questions in the form of YouTube videos uh, at some point in the near future. We'll see how that pans out. I'm off to work now to go back to working on a very, very interesting case uh, where an e commerce website is not able to rank for their brand name. And anytime that happens, there's something funky going on. Uh, and the more we look, into this, it really looks like something is wrong on Google's side. So my task today is to put a case together so we can explain that there's no other possible explanation <laughs> other than Google's messed up here. So we might have an article on that in the future. We'll, we'll see. I want to thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate that you listen as talking about this stuff helps me to formulate my thoughts and helps me to do my job better. You can follow me at Marie underscore Haynes on Twitter. Today I tweeted a bunch of stuff about the funny autocorrects that Google Docs dictate function gave me while I was prepping for this podcast. Somehow when I spoke out, welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use, uh, it, it added on, uh, with me, Dr. Marie Haynes, Ninja Turtles. I, I really don't know where Ninja Turtles came from. And then I ended up laughing so hard that I had to take a break for a while. <laughs> Anyhow, speaking of Twitter, I have a question to ask you. And if you have an answer to this question, I'd love for you to tweet at me. This is very, very important. My family and I just, uh, we've been having a lot of fun setting up a fish tank. And this week we got four snails. They are really, really cool. It's fun to watch them clean up all the gunk on the sides of the tank. Um, And they move all over the place. It's cool. I want to name them after either Google employees or Google algorithm updates. So right now, my leading candidates for their names are John, Gary, Martin, and Danny. (laughs) But if you have other ideas for how I should name these four snails, how my family should name them, then tweet at me, Marie underscore Haynes, and maybe you can uh, have the honor of being the one to name our snails. (laughs) Uh, Just for context, our other fish are named Grumpy Cat, Spotify, Char, after Charlie DeMillo from TikTok, and we have four Tetras. I don't know if you know what tetras are. They're small little fish and the ones we have are blue and red. So we named them blue raspberry because they're blue and red, but we just call them BR and we can't tell them apart. So for a while we had BR one, BR two and BR three, but we realized when we were saying BR one, BR two and BR three, it sounded like we were saying beer one, beer two, beer three. So our fourth one we called floor. So now we've got beer one, beer two, beer three floor. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense. My children didn't understand, but my husband and I had a good laugh at that. Anyways, uh, if you've got a good name for our four snails, let me know. Thanks again for listening. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings.